Megan, it is so good to have you with us today. I'm glad that you're here. Um, and for those of you who are visiting, I want to welcome you guys to Lighthouse. We have been in the midst of the book of Romans over the last couple of months. Um, and it has been so fun to dive in. And I'll tell you that this, this message is one that I've been looking forward to for several months. Um, and so we're only going to cover about four verses today, but they are really, really meaty ones that we're going to be chewing on. However, before we dive in, we're going to be in Romans 8. Before we get there, I just kind of want to share a story that may not seem to have a lot of, of connection here, but it'll, it'll make a lot of sense as we get into it. Um, a few years back, some friends of mine, Brandy and Jesse, had a daughter around the same time that we had Ethan. And after they had their daughter, like within a couple of months, Brandy was spending some time praying with God, and, and it's almost as if God gave her a vision. Not almost as if. He gave her a vision of her little blonde daughter playing with a little black boy. And she didn't know what to make of that because they had never considered adoption as even something on their radar. She kind of went, what was that? That was interesting. Couldn't make out the boy's face, but she could see definitely that the two were playing and she knew that they were related. And so she told her husband, uh, Jesse, "I, I think that God showed me a picture of our son." And they had never even considered adoption. So Jesse's like, well, he's going to have to tell me too, if that is the case. (laughs) And so over the next several months, all they did is began to pray about it. God, if adoption is something you want for us, then really lay that on our hearts. And increasingly, both of them, their hearts were broken to adopt somebody. And they didn't know where, but increasingly they felt this burden that our son is out there somewhere. We don't know him. We don't know where he is but we want to bring him home. Around that same time, half a world away in Ghana, Africa, there was a a single mother who found out that she was pregnant. And she already had a six-year-old son, and when she told her boyfriend at the time, I am pregnant, he basically said in no uncertain terms, if you are unwilling to get an abortion, I'll leave you, because I don't want to support another child. And so she was left with this impossible decision do I, do I abort the, the life of one child in order to make sure that I can provide for another child? Or do I trust God enough and love this child that I haven't even met enough to endanger all of us? Long story short, she chose to keep the child. And she gave birth some seven or eight months later to a little healthy boy named Samuel. Um, we call him Sammy. To make a very long story a bit shorter, God serendipitously brought Sammy and Brandy and Jesse together. He, he, he birthed in their heart first Uganda, and then Uganda said, sorry, the doors are closed. And then they said, but Ghana is beginning to open it up to, to Westerners to be able to adopt. And so that's how they found their way in there. And even though they said that they were really desiring to, to to adopt a boy for whatever reason in the paperwork, somebody had put it down that they, were, they wanted to only adopt a girl. And then the social worker from Ghana called and said, I know that you only want a girl, but I feel like this boy belongs in your family. They're like, where did you ever get the idea that we only wanted a girl? We, we, we feel like God has told us we're supposed to adopt a boy. I made it a little longer than I anticipated. <laughs> Being concise has never been my strong suit. So over the course of a year and a half or so, Brandy and Jesse prayed 
and raised money and spent countless hours on the phone with attorneys and social workers who flew out to Ghana to try to figure things out. And long story short, God finally opened the door and the the government, the, the courts agreed that they could adopt Samuel as their son. And so Brandy flew out to Ghana to bring her boy home. And I got to be at the airport with Kathy the day that Sammy came home and met the man that he could now call his father for the very first time, met him and met his new sister, Adelie, for the first time. And it was such a celebratory thing. I mean, we just, we recognized the gravity, but Sammy, this little two-year-old boy, had no concept of what was going on. For him, it was just like first time on an airplane, first time in a new place, just looking around. He had no idea why all of these people were like cheering and crying and all that kind of stuff. He had no clue the countless hours, the amount of prayer, the amount of finances, the amount of effort that his new parents had gone to to make him their son. He had no idea of the gravity of the fact that what was going on that day is he was being united to his family for the very first time, once and for all. And I I share that story because you and I are like Sammy in ways that I don't think we even realize. Because in the same way that Sammy was adopted into the Gibbs family, we have been adopted into God's family. And your first impulse might be to go, no, no, wait a minute, God has always been my father, I'm not adopted. But in fact, that's not the case at all. We have been adopted. Because Adam and Eve were created in God's image. And we all bear God's image. But it's been corrupted by sin. And when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and disobeyed God, sin entered in and severed that connection with our God. And sent them into hiding. Not only that, but sin enslaved us. And that's what we spent the first seven chapters of Romans talking about is the fact that we, although created in God's image to be his representatives, have been enslaved by sin. And as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, as part of, you know, from their line, we have inherited that sin nature, that sarks that we talked about last week. And all we knew was slavery. That's all we had to look forward to. But God was not willing to allow his creation, his children, whom he had created in his image to be his representatives, he was not willing to simply let us go and let sin get the last word. And so he did for us what we could have never done for ourselves. He took on human flesh, came to earth, and died in our place. He sent Jesus, his only begotten son. And by the way, we say only begotten. I've always kind of wondered, what does that word begotten mean? It's not a word we use in our culture. The word begotten simply means that Jesus is God's only genuine unadopted child. The rest of us are all adopted. So he sent Jesus, our brother, to die for us. God in human flesh. Paying the penalty that we had earned. The the amount of sins that we had done. When he died on the cross, his blood was stamped across that bill Tetelestai, which we know is, it is finished, but it also can be translated paid in full. It's the same word that would be stamped across uh, somebody's contract when they were buying a home and when they made the last payment, 
paid in full. Or when a convict had completed his amount of time in jail or had done whatever it was that was required for him to attain his freedom, to tell us, I paid in full. Jesus paid it all for us. So, as we looked at the last couple of weeks, we have been broken out of slavery. And then God begins to lead us into the freedom because the reality is we still have a sin nature within us that wants to drive us back towards slavery, that wants to submit itself right back to the very things that Jesus died to free us from. And God recognized that we could never really walk towards freedom on our own strength, and so he gave us his Holy Spirit to reside within us. And the Holy Spirit, as we saw last week, and if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get the CD or just listen online. Because the first section, the first 13 verses of Romans chapter 8 are this wonderful reminder that we cannot live holy lives on our own strength. We can't do it by our own strength. We can't walk out of slavery and into freedom by our own initiative. God never expected us to, so he gave us his Holy Spirit to reside within us. However, that's not the only purpose of the Holy Spirit. Because as Paul goes on now in the next few verses of Romans chapter 8, he explains that it is through the Holy Spirit itself that we are ultimately adopted into God's family. So let's go ahead and read here in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. We're not just people who have been released out of slavery. We are actually literally God's children. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, our brother. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So here are the two things that we see just right off the bat on the surface as we're reading through these few verses that we just looked at. First off, because we have been given the spirit and we have been adopted into God's family, we do not need to approach approach God, our father, as a slave might his master with fear and trepidation that there is judgment awaiting us because we may have stepped out of line in some way. Instead, we can approach him kind of like my son Grayson did this morning when he wakes up and he's got bedhead going off the and his attitude, and he's cranky when he gets up in the morning sometimes. And he was cranky this morning. He just wanted his mommy. And I'm like, she's sleeping, boy. You don't want to go in there right now. <laughs> so I picked him up, and he just kind of wrapped his arms around his daddy and melted into me. And I'm like, oh. And so we go sit down on the couch, and I just held my boy. And there is no fear of judgment. There is no fear of rejection. There is simply a, an ability to rest in his daddy's love. And we can approach our Father in the same way. So Paul puts it here. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship so we can come directly to God just as we are as a child to a parent. But another thing that really affects our relationship is that we don't have to speak to God as a slave would to a master. Yes, sir. Whatever you say, master, you know, that kind of fawning, terrified, like what, you know, I'm just, 
all that kind of stuff. We can talk to God the way that Jesus did. Jesus called God his Abba, which is Aramaic for daddy. It is the single most intimate term or name for God found in Scripture. And the reality is that we have a right to call God our Abba, our daddy as well. And that's a huge thing. Because I think of Sammy meeting Jesse, although he'd met him before, this is the first time he's meeting him as his father in the airport. And Sammy doesn't know Jesse nearly as well as Adelie, his naturally born child, did. But because of his adoption, Sammy had just as much right to call Jesse his daddy as Adelie did. We have just as much right to call God our Father, to come just as we are. And we, we might... We talk about adoption, and I think one of the problems that we're running into is that we tend to hear the word adoption through a 21st century modern mindset. And that's not the mindset that Paul was bringing with him when he was writing about our adoption. You see, adoption in the 21st century means something radically different than what it did in the 1st century. To us, we tend to think that people adopt Children, because they're first off, they're adopting a child in order to provide and protect them until that child can reach adulthood. That's what, why we adopt. But in the first century, adoption had a totally different purpose. And we're, when Paul's talking about adoption, he's not talking about a Jewish mindset of adoption because actually the Jewish people did not practice adoption. For them, it was much more about your lineage, your blood connection. That's why of the four gospel messages that we get, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, two of them begin with a genealogy because it was utterly important to be able to trace your lineage back either to David or back to Adam. But the Romans, the Romans were very familiar with adoption. It was something that they practiced. And it is interesting that the only three books that we even get adoption language in the New Testament are found in books that were addressed to cities that were a part of the Roman state. Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians. All three of them written to people who would have been very familiar with a Greco-Roman style of adoption. So let me explain really briefly what the Roman style of adoption was. Rather than adopting a child and raising it to adulthood, typically Romans were more focused on perpetuating a family's name and making sure that the estate was going to be placed into good hands. So they would adopt usually grown men who were of high esteem and they could say, this is somebody I want to carry on our family name. This is somebody I want to take care of our estate because we know it's going to be in good hands. One uh, historian wrote this. He said, this is F.F. F. Bruce wrote, the term adoption may be somewhat of an artificial sound in our ears, but to the Roman world of the first century A.D., an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father in order to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was in no way inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature and might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. 
So adoption in Rome was not about, hey, let's take this small child and grow it up into adulthood. No, let's find somebody to carry on our family name. Let's find somebody to care for our estate. So another Roman historian explained three of the most radical legal effects of being adopted. This is what would take place from a legal standpoint if you were adopted in Rome. First off, the adopted person lost all rights to his old family and gained all rights of a legitimate son in his new family. In the most binding legal way, he got a new father and a new family. So you leave this family, your origin, and you become a member of this family. And you can, by right, by legal standing, call this person your father now. Secondly, and I love this one, the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. For instance, all debts were canceled. If you had borrowed a tremendous amount of money, if you had made some mistakes in your childhood and there was something on your record, all of that was canceled out. Literally, the old is gone and you became a new person. Thirdly, This individual became a legal heir to the new father's estate. Even if other sons were born afterward into that family, you never had to fear that you were somehow going to be kicked out of the will or weren't going to inherit. You were a co-heir with all of those naturally born sons because in the eyes of the law, you were just as much a child of that father and just as worthy to inherit the estate as all the other brothers and sisters. That's huge. Can you see why Paul would use this language to describe our relationship with our Father? Because in, in every way, we have been adopted into God's family. We have gone from slavery into becoming sons and daughters of the living God. The old has gone. All of our sins, all of the things that used to mark us are washed away, done away with. The old is gone. The new has come. We are a new creation in Christ. And because of that, what Paul goes on to say that we ultimately become an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. Well, what are we inheriting? We are inheriting all that is God's, the kingdom of God. And most importantly, we are inheriting eternal life in intimate relationship with our God. The first fruits of which is the Holy Spirit residing within us. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and give our hearts to him, he imparts to us the first part of our inheritance, the Holy Spirit to reside within us. God kind of working with us and walking with us and helping us to be holy. Does that make sense? You following that? Okay, so all that is Christ's, ultimately we become heirs with him, co-heirs with Christ. But there's one more thing that I, I, probably my favorite aspect of this whole idea of adoption from the Greco-Roman understanding. My favorite part is the fact that when, when a, a natural born child was born in Rome, their standing in the family was very tenuous. In fact, life was treated very cheaply in Rome. When a child was born, the nursemaid would literally carry this little bundle of a baby and set it down at the father's feet. And if the father stooped to pick that baby up, he was acknowledging that this was his child. But if he turned his back on the child and walked away, 
the nursemaid would pick that baby up, carry it outside, and leave it. Abandon it. This was a very natural aspect of the Roman, because life was difficult. And they would, it was called, this process was called exposure because they were literally exposing this child to the elements. Oftentimes the babies would die. Sometimes slave traders would come and gather these children and literally raise them up because it was cheaper to raise a child into slavery than it was to go buy a slave. It was, it was horrible. In fact, I, I'm just going to share with you one letter written by a guy named Hilarion to his wife. He's on business in Alexandria and he's writing to his wife who's pregnant at the time. And I just want you to hear the way in which he treats the life of their unborn child. Hilarion to Elise, my wife. Heartiest greetings. Know that we are still even now in Alexandria. Don't worry if I must remain in Alexandria when the others return. I beg and I beseech you to take care of the little child. And as soon as I receive wages, I'll send them to you. If, with luck, you have a child and it's a boy, let it live. If it's a girl, throw it out. You told Aphrodisia to tell me, don't forget me. How could I forget you? I beg you not to worry. I read that and I go, can you imagine treating your unborn child with that much disregard, almost like if it's a moldy loaf of bread, just throw it out. We wouldn't even consider treating a pet that way. And yet this was commonplace. And yet it's into that culture where a child's life in his family, his standing in the family was very tenuous, where even a grown child could be disowned by his father. That when we come to adoption, here's the amazing thing. Although a grown son or daughter could be disowned by their father at any point, an adopted child, there was no legal way to disown your child if you had adopted them. One historian wrote, It is remarkable that the adopted son should have a stronger position than the son by birth, and yet it was so. In other words, from the Roman mindset, once you were adopted, you could never be unadopted. I want you to just consider that for a moment. Consider the ramifications of that statement. Once you have been adopted into the family, you can never be unadopted. Your standing is secure. And that's the standing that we have when God gives us his Holy Spirit and imparts imparts his spirit into our hearts. There is a sense of we are secure in his love. Regardless of whether or not we can really rest in that, regardless of whether we feel secure in that. Because I remember when they first, when, when Brandy and Jesse first brought Sammy home, that little boy had been through so much trauma in the first two years of his life, abandoned by his mother. He had no idea why she had done that. He didn't realize she'd done it because she wanted to give him a chance to live. All he knew was she wasn't there. And then he put in a group home and then put in an orphanage and, and then you know a foster parent that kind of had them up until when Brandy and Jesse finally were able to bring him home. Person after person after person that was there caring for him then disappears. And so when they first brought him home, Sammy began to hoard food. He would grab bread rolls and hide them in his room just in case. It was nice that these wonderful people were caring for him. But in case there's not another meal that shows up, he wanted to make sure that he was... This is a two-year-old doing this, guys. 
And, and what, I just think of how often we approach our Father in heaven in the same way. Going, I, lo- I appreciate, Jesus, that you died for me. I appreciate that you showed your love for me and that you would give your life for me, but I don't feel secure. Even though we are saved by grace, not by works, it's so easy for us to, then to click into this mindset that we have to somehow do something to prove our worth. We have to maintain our standing in the family by being good, by living perfectly. And every time we stumble, because we are going to stumble, we very quickly think that God might turn his back on us and walk away. We might be disowned in a heartbeat. And so what do we do? We try harder. Maybe we try to prove. And we, we, Although we didn't need the ladders of righteousness and rule following in order to earn our standing, all of a sudden now we pull those ladders out and we start climbing them trying to prove that we are worthy of God's grace and Jesus' blood. Or maybe we go the opposite direction. Maybe we stumble and we fall and we go, I knew I couldn't. I'm, I'm not deserving of this. And we get discouraged and we walk away. Because when we focus on forcing ourselves to live up to the God's righteous standard, we will stumble, we will fall, and we will get discouraged every time. But as we saw last week, when we focus our minds on, our, on, on God, on Christ, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and, our, and perfecter of our faith, and we follow him step by step, though we stumble... He leads us out of that slavery slowly. That's that whole sanctification process that we've been talking about. This process of kind of leaving the things that, that we needed in slavery behind us and walking towards him. It's a lifelong process, not something that we ever really get to the end of, this side of the grave. But I want us to recognize that our standing with God is not dependent upon our efforts or upon what we have done. Our standing with God is dependent upon what he has done for us. I love this quote by Lee Strobel. He wrote, Faith is only as good as the one in whom it's invested. Faith is only as good as the one in whom it's invested. Sometimes when we approach God, we put our faith in our own strength. And guys, we weren't good enough to earn our standing with God. He had to die for us. So who are we to think that we can now live up to some expectation to be holy as he is holy? We can't. And for Sammy, he may not have felt secure in his family. He may have felt the need to hoard bread rolls because he didn't trust that these new people in his life weren't going to abandon him just like everybody else. But did that mean that he wasn't secure? Absolutely not. Because to Brandy and Jesse, they had covenanted, not contracted. There's a difference between a contract and a covenant. A contract can be legally dissolved. A covenant is something that says for life. There's no back door to this. This is, this is a difference in how we understand marriage. It is a covenant as opposed to a contract where you can go to a judge and have it nullified. And I hope that we can begin to recognize that the gravity of what we say when we use the word marriage. And in the same way, for Brandy and Jesse, they had made a covenant with God and with Sammy that for better or for worse, you are our son. We love you and we will care for you regardless of what the future holds. I think of Marge 
with their daughter, Marjan Nassim, who adopted Gloria, a wonderful girl. And she's had a, a lot of physical needs that, you know, they have had to pour immense amounts of energy into loving her. They didn't even know she was going to survive into her 20s. And thank God, he's given her far longer than the doctors gave her. And Marjan Nassim's entire lives have been shaped by the fact that Gloria is a part of their family. Of course, just like any of us who have had children, our lives have been shaped by the children that have entered into it. You don't just add a kid to your family. You get a brand new family when you, when you have a kid. And you begin to have to learn new habits and new, you know, my time is no longer just my time. And so when we place our faith in ourself, we're going to be disappointed. But when we begin to recognize that it is God in whom we place our faith and our standing is not contingent upon our own efforts, it's contingent upon what he has done for us, there's a sense of security. Now, do not hear that from, don't hear me saying, therefore, that we can live any way that we want. Paul, Paul already addressed that in Romans chapter 6. Just because we have been saved by grace through faith and we're no longer under the law does not give us a right to run right back into slavery to the very things that Jesus died to free us from. We're part of a family. So let's start living like it. Let's start living according to the things that Jesus died for us to be able to live according to. He said, who are my brothers and my sisters? My mother. The people who do the will of my Father in heaven are my brothers and my sisters. But our life, our actions, what we do is a response to what God has done, not a prerequisite for it. We don't earn the right to be his kids. Because we are kid, his kids, we now get to live the, out of that. Does that make sense? Because that is a huge difference. The world says, you do enough things, you earn your standing. God says, here's who you are. Now you can start living according to it. And I know you're going to stumble. I know you're going to fall. I've given you my Holy Spirit to be a, a guide. Not to condemn you when you screw up, but to convict you. To help remind you, this is not who you are. Don't keep running back to this pigsty. Get up. Let's go. And to help us up and to help us walk back into freedom. And he showers us with grace. Grace is not a one-time gift that we get right when we submit our lives to Jesus and accept them as our Savior and our Lord. Grace is a permanent state. We've looked at this. Paul already addressed this, that we live in a constant state of grace. It's the only standing that we have. Are you beginning to see how all of these concepts in Romans that he's been dealing with are just kind of combined? I am, at least. Maybe I'm alone. Long story short. This morning we've been looking at the fact that we are sons and daughters of God, not because we were born into his family, but because of his grace. We are made sons and daughters because he gave us his Holy Spirit to reside in us as the first fruit of our inheritance, of the kingdom of God and intimacy with our Father in heaven for the rest of eternity. We get to start experiencing our inheritance right now when we submit ourselves to this, the Holy Spirit and begin to allow him to shape us and mold us into the image of our Father, just like our brother Jesus. Follow his example. 
And so for those of us here who this morning have already given our hearts to Jesus, have already accepted the Holy Spirit into our lives, may I just remind us that we are God's kids not because we earned it, but because it's a gift of grace. And it puts us on an equal footing with every single other person. The church should not be a place where we pretend to have it all together. Where we kind of set ourselves apart from other people and and determine whether or not they are worthy to be in relationship with us. Because all of us, every single man, woman, and child that calls God Father is ultimately an adopted child. And we are adopted simply because we are the first to say, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. And so may we stop pointing fingers. May we stop separating ourselves and and condemning other people because they don't look just like us and they don't act just like us. My prayer is that this church would be a place where it is safe to come and be real. Let our guard down in some ways kind of take the masks off that we have been walking around with where we pretend to be good enough, where we try to live up to other people's expectations. Just come just as we are with all of the junk that we've been carrying around with us and kind of crash land into one of these seats. And the goal here on Sunday mornings and in our small groups during the week and in everything else that we do, the goal is not to get lots of good information. The goal is to come face to face with our Father. This is a meeting of the family. But that doesn't mean we cease to be part of the family the other six and a half days of the week when we're not in here. We are sons and daughters and we bring the Holy Spirit, God's presence with us everywhere that we go, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our schools. May we not forget that we are a representative of our Father in heaven. So may our lives be shaped by the same attitude and and actions of our Father in heaven who loves. He is love. That is what he is known by. Who is gracious to the broken. True, he speaks truth to the prideful, the ones who think they have nothing to learn. He got their attention. Sometimes he had to smack them over the head with a little bit of truth. But to those who were broken, it was grace. He sought after the sick and the broken. Jesus himself is such a good example. If you want to understand what it means to live as a son or daughter of our our Father in Heaven, read the Gospels. I can offer you no better suggestion. Just look at the way that Jesus lived his life. Look at the way that he interacted with the Pharisees who were prideful and figured they had it all together. Look at the way he interacted with people who were caught in sin and recognized it and the way he moved towards them. Look at the way he surrounded himself with people that you never would have expected a well-respected rabbi to choose. That's how we can live our lives. And then to those of you this morning who are in here, and perhaps you have um, never gotten to the point where you have said yes to Jesus. Maybe you felt like, man, I don't deserve it. Right? You are very familiar with the ways that you've stumbled and fallen. You go... God couldn't accept me. May I be the first to say I don't deserve it. The only reason I get to stand up here is because of God's grace. And I'm the first one out of everybody else to say, hey, listen, I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. And I am grateful that God loves me more than he hates the sin in me. Because he was willing to deal with the sin in me. 
He died to deal with the sin in me and in you. Your Father in heaven loves you more than you could ever possibly fathom, and He wants you to come home. Maybe you're here, then you just go, you know what, I, I, I hear that, I like that, but like the prodigal son, I still have a little bit more time that I want to kind of spend on my own. I'm not really ready to come home yet. May I simply encourage you to count the cost. When we say yes to Jesus, when we invite him into our lives, we are not simply saying, Jesus, I want you to be the Savior of my life. We're also saying, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to bring every aspect of what I consider to be mine, my possessions, my finances, my giftings, my free time, my family, my, my hopes and my dreams, my deepest, darkest fears, all of that, we bring it right to him and we say, I submit it to you. Use me how you wish. Show me how to live. Show me how to interact with the people around me. Show me how to use the finances and the resources you've given me. Show me how to use the giftings you've given me. Because it's all yours. That's what it means to by faith submit your life to God. It's not simply an intellectual assent that, yeah, I believe that there's a God up there. And I believe he might have died for me. It is a full submission of your life. Do we do that perfectly? Never. Not this side of the grave anyway. But it is a declaration, God, I want you to come into my life. I want you to give me the Holy Spirit because I need help. I have tried to live my life by my own strength. And I just look at the carnage that it's produced. And I'm done. My prayer is that if you are here this morning and you, you, you have yet to submit your life to God, would you just consider right now what's, what's holding you back? Because you have there, the creator and sustainer of this universe so strongly desires to make his home with you and to walk with you and to invite you into his family. He not only died to save you from your sin, he died in order to make you his son or his daughter. And that can happen right now by simply saying, I give up. I give up control. So why don't you go ahead and bow your heads with me. And this morning, if you are at that point where you're going, all right, I'm done trying to be in control. I'm done trying to be the captain of my ship. I want to come home. I want to rest. I don't want to, I don't want to run from God any longer. I want to rest in his lap, and I want to simply allow him to be my father. I don't feel like I deserve it, but I long for it. I long for that unconditional acceptance and love. If that's you, then I simply ask you to say, God, I need you. You know what I carry with me. You know the things that I'm ashamed of. You know the ways that I have stumbled. And you say that you love me anyway. And Jesus, the Bible says that you died for me to take care of all of those things. So I accept that 
sacrifice that you made to cover my sins. I don't know what that means fully and I don't know what it means to follow you completely. But I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you all that you have entrusted to me. Jesus, would you be the Savior of my life and would you be my Lord as well? Father, I need your Holy Spirit in me. Fill me up. So that I can call you Daddy. And I thank you that I am part of a family. That I'm not called to do this by myself. That I get to be surrounded by others who have said yes to you. Other imperfect works in progress. If you prayed that, then your eternal standing has shifted in a heartbeat. You have gone from being enslaved to sin to being a son or a daughter of the owner, the creator, and the sustainer of the universe. God has gone from being a judge to being your father. And you can come before him just as you are Anytime. You don't have to do it at church. You don't have to have a pastor praying for you. Although we're here for you. And you just entered into a much larger family than you could even possibly conceive. We are one small portion of God's family that's meeting all over the city, all over the state, all over this world. We're all part of the same family. We're not in competition with one another, even though sometimes it feels like we are. And our Father in Heaven loves you more than you could fathom. And we can't wait to just get to do life with you. So my encouragement is tell somebody else that you made this decision. So that you don't walk through this alone. Because we also have an enemy who would love to steal, kill, and destroy the hope that you're finding in your heart right now. And when we say yes to God, there's a target that's painted on our backs. And He comes after us. And so, we cannot walk through this life by ourselves. In fact, God said, it is not good that you would be alone. But He has created us to do life in community. First with Himself, and then with one another. So please don't try to navigate this on your own. Father, I am so thankful that although our lives would declare us to be sinners... You call us your sons and your daughters. I am so grateful that you have created this in your image and allow us to be your representatives. I am so thankful for this picture of adoption that provides a sense of permanence. That we are not just part of your retinue, we are part of your family. We are not just your servants or slaves. We are your children. And we get to call you Daddy. And and come before you just as we are. So now we come before you just as we are and say, have your way with us. Would you use us, your kids, to be a light in this community? And may the worship that we're about to take part in right now be just a sweet 
sound in your ears as your kids declare our dependence upon you. Because yesterday we declared our independence, but every day is a day that we declare our dependence upon you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our daddy. Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.